Come on, let's welcome the chapel in Richmond, Virginia, and Mosley. And there's the whole thing. I have to have the right thing to go, whatever. Come on, let's welcome everybody. Midlothian, glad to have you guys with us. Turn to the person next to you and tell them whether or not you have a real tree or a fake tree. Come on, do that today and you can be seated. Well, we, we are beginning a brand new series today called Christmas Can Still Change the World. And I'll tell you about that in just a second. But I always love to begin by looking at the camera at the back of the room and saying good morning to the chapel in Richmond, Virginia. I baptized 14 people last week at the chapel in Richmond. Love that. And, um, and then uh, Chaplain Mosley had an incredible morning. Good morning to you all. And uh, of course, we're in uh, Chesterfield County Jail, Virginia Department of Corrections. You all aren't a project to us, you're our people. So Merry Christmas, glad to be together, one church in multiple locations. And come on, Midlothian, let's thank the chapel in the lobby. Come on, being patient with us. And as we... As we expand, and uh, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, on the way out today, if you're interested in uh, thinking about our Christmas mission, we have a little card there that you can pick up at Next Step, and it just gives the breakdown of some of our faith goals for every Christmas. You've been around the chapel for a while. We try to spend a little less at the end of the year and, and give to missions, and so we're trying to raise uh, resources for uh, Convoy of Hope, Middle East Conflict, uh, Humanitarian Aid, their prison ministry, benevolence, short-term missions. You'll find out all about those different areas and amounts there on the card. And as we're praying and just uh, preparing for year-end giving, thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us be a church that not only makes a difference in our city, but outside the walls in this community and around the world. So thank you, thank you. And one last thing is we got Christmas uh, at the chapel, Christmas Eve services. How many have ever been to a candlelight Christmas service at the chapel? There's nothing like it. And we got special uh, music lined up, really special this year, and some funny elements. And, and we start on Thursday and go all the way till um, Sunday this year. We have, we'll have it in four different locations and different times. And so sometimes people help us by um, coming early a day or two, either on Thursday or Friday or Saturday, and it just makes space on Christmas Eve. But uh, would you do us a favor and just um, uh, RSVP? We don't take tickets at the door or anything, but it helps us just make sure we can spread out in all the different uh, services to make space for what God wants to do in everybody's life. Um, well, I grew up in a house, and I didn't know that this was a dysfunctional uh, uh, habit until I got married. And that was that uh, when we were kids, my mom always saved the receipts. And so whenever she'd give us a Christmas gift, she'd say, do you like it? And, and we would just say yes or no. And if we didn't like it, she'd say, well, I saved the receipt. You can return it. And so I started dating Katie, and she gave me a first gift. And I just said, I don't really like it. And uh, I discovered really quickly that that didn't, she was like, what do you mean you don't like it? And I was like, I just... Uh, did you save the receipt? And she's like, the receipt? So she's crying, and I'm like, what happened? I'm like, you know, and I thought that was just honest and true and healthy. And, uh, you know, her family, you pretended you like it. My family was just honest. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, 
and, and so, but I remember one year my mom gave me these slippers and they were, I think, I think back in the day, JC Penny, if you bought like three gifts, they threw something in for free. And so, uh, so there was, she, these, there were these just this horrible slippers. And so I opened them up and I was like, no, I don't like them. And so it's no big deal. Well, Katie and I were dating at that time. And I went over to her family's house two days later and I'm trying to impress her parents and make sure they like me. And they give me a Christmas present and I open the box and it's the exact same <laughs> slippers as my parents have gotten me and my future father-in-law says what do you think and now now Katie has already seen the other slippers that I don't like from my parents and so I don't know if I lie because then she might say well those are the same slippers and if I or, or do I tell him I don't like I don't, I don't know what to do in that moment and so I just said I'm confused <laughs> and he he starts laughing and he had gotten the slippers from my mom without telling me <laughs> And had repackaged those and, and given to me. And so anybody ever been disappointed at a gift? Come on, somebody. Anybody ever given a disappointing gift, right? And uh, man, that is true. I'm going to talk to you today about the one gift that will never disappoint. And, uh, and I want to just remind you this whole series about changing the world. You know, Christmas can only change the world if it's changed our world. And so we're going to get personal this weekend and deal with the hope that we can have. You see, Christmas is, is not just about a, a baby that was born in a manger. It's not just about a nativity scene. It's not just about something out there. How many know Christmas should be about something in here? something to be experienced in our own life. And, and so I want to talk to you today about hope and how necessary it is in our world. And I, I don't know if you know, I, I think we live in a hopeless world, don't we? Anybody notice that the media sells fear pretty good? Like you never turn on the news and they're like, great news. World is going awesome. It's going to be okay, you know. Uh, no, it's always, it's always, it's always, and I don't know if you notice this, but when it comes to the economy, if it's good news, it's good, it's bad news, and if it's bad news, it's bad news. So, like, everything is just crazy in the whole world. They're like, gas is coming down, and you're like, that's a good thing, and they're like, no, it isn't, and you're like, really? So you're just confused, and we live in a world of chaos, and, and in a world of no hope, and I, I'm just here to remind you, you can go, you can go days without food, and you can go a, a couple days without water, you can go a few minutes without air, but I don't think you can go very long in life without hope. In fact, the Bible tells us this, hope deferred in Proverbs makes the heart sick. And I think we're living in a world that is languishing without hope. And I have come today to bring some hope. In fact, one of my pastor friends has a hat that says hope dealer. And I wanted to get one today and wear it. And Katie vetoed me, but wouldn't that be cool? Hope dealer? Okay, no. And uh, all right, whatever. Uh, but first of all, I want to ground our idea of hope in something biblical because hope is not just like a wishful thinking. Hope is not just, hope is, hope is, we need to know this, hope is rooted in who God is. Hope is theological, okay? In fact, sometimes we can think of hope as it's just being an optimistic person and hoping the, you know, we say, I hope my team wins or I, or I hope, hope things get better. I hope the weather get, gets nice. But no, no, optimism is just psychological thinking that the future might be better. Hope is rooted in who God is. And so here's what I want to say, Chapel. If you are here this weekend and you are a follower of Jesus, then you ought to be a person of hope. Like that is non-negotiable. You ought to be a hope dealer. Come on. 
Like you ought to be somebody who, 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 because our hope is not in shifting things, sentimental things, circumstantial things, things that move and come and go. It's not even in a sentimental optimism. Our hope is settled in who God is and who he says we are. And so I want to, I've come today to deal some hope, okay, and, and fill our hope tank up. And, and, and I want to give us this. And let, let me set the tone, though. Before it gets practical, let me build a foundation because I think it's true. The only reason we even have hope is because of the gospel, okay? And the gospel is the good news that God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be a savior of the world. And I want us to look today at Romans 5. In fact, Romans 5 might be one of the best chapters in all the Bible. Verses 1 to 11 are just amazing we're going to camp out in Romans 5, 3 through 11. But the, literally, Romans tells us hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. And then he explains how God does this. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died. Come on, somebody, for the what? For, I have good news and bad news. The good news is Jesus died for the ungodly. But the bad news is you are ungodly. How many know none of us are good enough? Anybody, right? Turn to the person next to you and tell them you don't, you, you're not perfect. Come on, just tell them that. You're not perfect. <laughs> right? I want to make sure we have this view of God destroyed. God is not in heaven making a list, checking it twice trying to find out who's naughty or nice. The gospel is for people who have come up short, right? In fact, the Bible says, you see just the right time where we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the gospel. Well, we were still sinners. Christ died for us. In fact, he explains it. He says, so since we've now been justified by his blood, justified is a legal term in the ancient world, meaning that God declares us righteous even though we're guilty, and that that is done by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Meaning that because we've all sinned, we're under a separation with God. For while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life not only this but we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have received reconciliation let me explain it this way Jesus didn't just die for you he died as though he was you now you got to understand this because a lot of people understand that Jesus died for you but it's more than that if you've accepted his free gift of eternal life then Jesus died as you catch this it's really incredible I'm, I'm geeked out about it this weekend when Jesus hung on the cross, he hung there as though Brandon's, he had lived Brandon's life. When Jesus hung on the cross, he, he, he hung as though he had lived your life and your life and your life. And on the cross, Jesus takes the due punishment that our sins deserve so that he might give us the righteousness that comes from his. For 33 years, Jesus lives a sinless life. And on the cross, he gets the penalty of though, as though he's lived a sinner's life so that now he can gift to us or credit to our account his perfect life. 
So I'm telling you, Jesus dies not just for us. He dies in our place that we might be forgiven. The Bible calls this the gospel. Here's why this is huge. Because we got a world full of people that think you get to God through good effort, through being good enough, doing good enough, having it all together. Listen, we could not get that way to God. He came to us. Anybody grateful for that today? And so the Bible calls this the gospel. And the, the Greek word for gospel is, I want to give it to you, it's euangelion. And I want you to say it out loud to get today so that you can say it to the waiter at lunch, okay? What did you learn for church? Euangelion. So we're going to say it together a couple times so we get it in, our, in the lobby and in Mosley and in Richmond and middle of the... We're going to say euangelion. We're just going to be kind of smart today, okay? Come on, say it with me. Euangelion. Come on. Let's, let's say it again, Uangelion. One more time, like we mean it, Uan. And, and it's broken down in two ways. The word ev or u means good, and angelos is the root word for messenger. So it means good message, good messenger. It means good news. Here's why this is huge, because it means that today I'm not offering us good advice about how to improve our life. I'm offering us good news of what God has done for us. You gotta catch this, because in the ancient world it was rooted in a military strategy. That was what's unique about the Bible. They take a military term. In the ancient world, as, as uh, battles, as armies prepared to do battle, they would leave their city. They would take the fighting men and they would leave their city. And in the city would be left the elderly children, uh, the, those that could not fight women in, the, in, the, um, in their city. And they would go, the two armies would meet on a neutral site for battle. And basically, if you're left behind in the city, you're wondering, I hope we win. Because if we don't win, the invading army is going to come. They're going to take us captive, carry us in exile, burn our city. I mean, horrible things could happen. So the city would be left in a, in a waiting period of fear. Oh, man, I hope we win. I hope we win. I hope we win. And so what they would do is if your army won, they would find the fastest runner they could. And they would send him. He was called an evangelist. <laughs> He, that literally a good news messenger was sent because it was going to take the army a few days to get back to the city, but they didn't want to leave people hanging. And so they would send a runner who would run. And you got to picture the people standing in the city, looking on the hillside, waiting for the, and oh, the sight of seeing the evangelist coming with good news. Hey, we won. We, our team won. We conquered. We're not going to be. We're not going to be imprisoned by by the enemy army. We have good news. Our side won. That was the word for good news. And I've come today, just so you know, not with good advice. I've run here today. I drove here, but you know what I'm saying. With good news, we have conquered through our King Jesus Christ. Death, burial, resurrection. Our future is secure and we are people of the good news. Hey, we are people of the good what? Come on, the good. And the good news isn't about how we improve ourselves. It's what God has done for us. Look at me this weekend, Chapel. You are God's son or daughter if you've accepted the free gift of grace. Not because of what you have done or I have done, but because of what he has done for us. We are people of grace. We're people who live and serve God. You see, here's what the Bible is saying. Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And you see this phrase, he says, I want to make sure you see it. 
I want to make sure that you not only know that our hope is found in the gospel, but I want to make sure that you're staring at it and seeing it and observing it, right? I want you to do me a favor this weekend. Hold your thumb up like this. Come on. And now I want you to move it. Look at me and move your thumb. Close one eye in front of that. This, just do it in the lobby. I'm watching you. You're not doing it. And, uh, <laughs> and now how many know if you get that thumb close enough, you can't see me around your thumb, right? This is a very sophisticated <laughs> illustration. Now, I'm bigger than your thumb, right? But how many know the perspective of something smaller, closer to you, can cover up something even muscular like me? <laughs> I'm just here to remind us today, I think some of us have our problems so close to our life and so close to our perspective that I'm just trying to ask you to push it aside for a second and to look up at the gospel of Jesus and be reminded this weekend God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Hey, we're forgiven our sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross. By his blood, we have been justified, declared righteous. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. Nothing I can do to make him love me less. I'm fully, he, Jesus has fully satisfied God's righteous payment for sin on the cross. We are forgiven, come on, forgiven completely by his grace and mercy. And what a hope that is. The other day, uh, my daughter was driving somewhere downtown and I said, well, you, get, you need some money for Easy Pass. And she said, no, I'm fine. And I said, well, I don't go through the toll again. You don't have an Easy Pass. And she said, no, I'm fine. And I said, well, do you have change? And finally, the third time she said, I took it out of your car. <laughs> and I said, you took change out of my car? No, the Easy Pass. Uh, thing I took it out of your car so how many know she's driving through the toll and another man is paying for that it's called her dad and I'm just telling you today you and I get places because another one has another man has paid our debt Jesus Christ the Lord what if we took one second and just said thank God for forgiveness of sin right forgiveness of sin so, all right, I, I know it's because of the gospel, and I'm looking again at the gospel, but pastor, what do I do when I have present struggles in life? Well, I'm glad you asked, because Romans 5 is really about that. Just two verses before, Paul said, listen, even in our suffering, we glory, because we know God's producing some, something in our life through our suffering. Suffering produces perseverance. Don't you hate that word? Per where are the people you hate to wait? Come on, you hate to, like, oh, perseverance, like, Perseverance, character, character produces what? Hope. Here's what the Bible is teaching us. Not only do, do we ground our hope in the gospel and do we look at the hope through our eyes of the gospel, we grow in our hope through difficulty. How many know God stretches us through difficulty, right? Muscles build through resistance, right? Spiritual growth happens in our life through challenge. And God allows us sometimes to walk through suffering so that we might learn to trust in him. I heard an old Baptist preacher tell a story of the two lumberjacks. He says there were two lumberjacks in the, in the woods and they were cutting down a whole bunch of trees and they, they each walked out into the forest with their ax. And they started each to chop down this tree and they noticed a, a, a bird up in the tree with a nest and they felt bad. They thought, we don't want to knock it down. We want to get the bird out of the tree and... They, they had an idea, so they flipped their axe backwards and 
And they each started hitting one side of the tree and the other just to scare the bird off. And a few, few hits with the blunt side of the axe and the bird flew. But to their displeasure, it flew to the tree next to them that they were also going to cut down. So they went over to the next tree with the blunt side of their axe and each hit a few times. It flew to the next tree. Well, three or four times later, they did that. and The birds switched from tree to tree when it finally flew away and landed safely in a rock. And that's where it nested. And, uh, you know, when I was praying this week about the, the sermon, I was thinking maybe that is what's happening in some of your lives. God's letting some shaking happen in your life. And I just want to remind you, it's not to destroy you or to hurt you. It's to get you to flee to the rock that is a place of safety. And Paul says something happens in our life in moments of difficulty that God develops perseverance, Perseverance shapes in our life to character, and character also ultimately leads to hope. And I'm telling you this weekend, there's nothing like seeing a follower of Jesus suffer well while trusting in Jesus. And you see them just have all kinds of hope and all kinds of joy and all kinds of belief in the trusting in God. And I know so many in this room, you're walking through some stuff, and you've just joyfully in the middle of all the struggle continued to hope in God and you're a witness to the world that you have hope how many know God wants us to have hope even in difficult times right he says because God's accomplishing something he's shaking the tree a little bit to get us to run Um, uh, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said either trouble will either be a rock that falls on us or God will use it to cause us to fall on the rock who we really should trust in And I'm just encouraging you this week, and let's be people who have hope even in difficulty, even in the struggle. We grow in hope through difficulty. But not only that, this is true. He says we're going to be people who grow in our suffering, and God's going to develop character, and he's going to develop hope until ultimately our hope, he says, is the only hope that cannot fail. Let me show you this. And this hope... (laughs) does not, come on, somebody help me out, disappoint us. This hope does not, come on, does not what? Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been disappointed, right? (laughs) In fact, this is the danger of Christmas. Christmas promises if you just get this one thing, oh, you'll be not disappointed. You'll be very appointed. And it says, but I'm just telling you, by the way, you're going to buy that product and it's still going to disappoint you, right? In fact, uh, Friday night we had a get together at our house and we were doing this white elephant Christmas gift. And the gift that my wife bought that got passed around, somebody texted us the next day. It was a a plug-in blanket, heating blanket that's been recalled. (laughs) So she probably burnt someone's house someone's house down on Friday night, you know. How many know sometimes you get something that will disappoint you, you know? You say, no, 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 I just met a man that I love. I'm engaged to him. He will never disappoint me. (laughs) Marriage is just disappointing the other person in small enough doses (laughs) that you keep going. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't want to fully disappoint you, sweetheart. But I'm just going to roll it out slowly by surely. You've never taken your socks off in front of me. That ain't important. Until the wedding night, you're not seeing these feet. You know what I'm talking about? 
And I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, there is one, Paul says, who literally gives us a hope that will never disappoint us. How many know he's Jesus Christ, the Lord, right? And he, he satisfies our souls completely. And he says, so we're going to be people who understand the gospel, who look at the gospel, who grow in our hope even through suffering, and who understand this kind of hope is different than the world around us. I'm telling you, it's a different thing. It's, it's, one of these things is not like the other. The hope we have in Jesus is different than the world around us. It's settled. It's true. It's certain. And I'm telling you, the world shouts Search this, pursue this, find this, achieve this. If you get here, finally you'll, and, and the gospel alone is what satisfies our human soul. Our souls are restless, and Augustine said, until they find rest in God alone, right? And so he is the only one who, who doesn't disappoint us. All right, let me give you one more. Turn to the person next to you and tell them one more. Come on, tell them one more. I'll give you one more, and it's... It's true. Our hope should not just flow. It should, come on, help me out. It should what? It should overflow. We should be people that not only flow with hope, we should overflow with hope. And for this, I skip out of Romans 5 and skip to the end of the same book of the Bible, Romans 15, when he says, may the God of hope, so he describes God's character as God is not only a God who gives hope, his very character is hope. He's the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all what? Joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may what? Over, so the God of hope is going to fill you to the extent that you don't just have enough hope. You overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. About four years ago, my mom just a few miles from here called me. She said, my minivan is acting wild. You just, the whole engine's jumping. Please pull up. And so I, I drove right away to help her out. And I said, what's going on? She said, I just got gas. And I said, you did? She said, yeah, I think I got the wrong kind of gas. And I said, what kind do you think you got? She said, diesel. And she said, do you think this is a diesel van? I said, I, I don't think so. I said, I don't think you would get diesel because the nozzle's different. It's like a square. I don't think you'd get diesel. She said, yeah, that's why I think I got it. And I said, well. But I said, the nozzle is square. It shouldn't go in the round. She said, well, I noticed it wouldn't go in, so I took a pencil to open, and I slowly filled it. I said, so you knew the square nozzle wouldn't go in the round nozzle. You got a pencil to open the little cylinder, and she said, I had to fill it so slow because it didn't want to go in. And I said, how long did that take? She's like, it took a long time. And I said, so you slowly drip. She's, by now, I could, she smelled. I mean, I was like, you need to not know, go near any flames because you smell a lot like gasoline right now. And I'm just telling you, we had to take, she's like, what do you think it does to the engine? I was like, a lot, okay? It's just, the, you know how they have the whole thing with the nozzles because they really think this is pretty bad and I'm not a mechanic, but you know how the car is doing this? It's because you put, and she's like, don't, you know, mom watches every weekend. Can we say hi to my mom? Thanks for <laughs> providing me with endless sermon illustrations and uh, being the best mom there is. And uh, comment in the chat. Uh, and I, I'm just really convinced that the world has tried to fill us with the wrong thing. Either it's fear in the world we live in right now, 
or it's if you get this, it'll satisfy. And I'm here to just tell every single person, this world leaves us wanting for more because we were made for another world. (laughs) And Jesus alone has the hope that does not disappoint us. And not only does he want us to have hope, he wants us to be the kind of people who overflow with hope. We're not just filled with hope, we're overflowing with hope. How many would sign up for a little bit of hope this weekend? A little bit of hope this weekend. In fact, in fact, if you're ever, one of my favorite leadership books, I read it about five years ago, I've recommended it a, a ton, is a book called Hope Quotient by um, Pastor Ray Johnston. read about five years ago and deeply impacted my life. And it's a whole book on hope. Well, two summers ago, we were at a conference and I saw Pastor Ray Johnson in the room. Now, now, mind you, this is probably one of my top four leadership books I've ever read. And I said to Katie, I want to go meet Pastor Ray, but I'm so nervous to meet him because what if he's not a high hope guy? You know, like half of my leadership has been built on this idea of hope that got impacted through this book. And luckily, I got to go meet Pastor Ray Johnson two summers ago, one of the most high hope guys there is. In fact, he and I will text sometime. And every time he texts, it's got an exclamation point. Raise that guy. You know what I mean? Like, um, But he tells the story of the genesis of his book. Uh, the reason he wrote it was his daughter was doing a, um, she had to do for college, uh, interview a leader and ask 20 leadership questions. So they were on vacation and she decided to interview her own dad for this leadership paper. And he said he was sitting in a hot tub at the beach when his daughter's interviewing him for on leadership. And she asked him 20 leadership questions. And the last question Pastor Ray's daughter asks him about leadership is, dad, what's the most important thing you do as a leader? And he said, he said, I didn't even realize I was going to answer this way. I just immediately answered, that's easy. I stay encouraged. And then he was like, oh, I didn't know I was going to answer that. Write that down. You know, like I stay encouraged. And he started to think, what is it? Why, why is that? And he literally, that's the point of the whole book. He wrote it. He said, you know, you'll never have a great marriage if you're discouraged and not full of encouragement. You'll never be a great mom every time you're around the kids, you're just discouraged, not full of encouragement. Never be a great dad. You'll never change your business unless you have encouragement and hope. You'll never change your city. If you Like the power of hope, the power of hope changes everything. In fact, he, he in the book tells a story of a counselor who said whenever they do marriage counseling with a couple that's really struggling to work through some issues, they never at first deal with the real issue the couple deals with because they've been trying to sort that out for a long time they find a really easy issue that can be solved and they solve the easy issue first and here's why the counselor said because if I can get a couple to fix one problem even 10% then I can inject hope into the marriage and once hope is there anything is possible I'm here to tell you today once hope is there anything is possible and I'm telling you this sermon this weekend is not an optional sermon If you live without hope, it limits radically what God can do in your life. He is the, by his own very nature, his character is the God of hope. And I'm just telling you today, I meet too many Christians that are the God, they they serve, like if you really looked at their life, you'd say they must serve the God of discouragement or the God of fear or the God of being mad all the time. You know what I'm talking about? 
I'm here to just remind us today that if God's going to use us to change our community, change our marriage, change our city, change our family, change our community, change the world, it starts with an ejection of hope, okay? And I feel like God wanted me to almost run to church today like an evangelist of old and say, the hope is not built upon an optimistic psychological assessment. Our hope is built upon the gospel. Jesus Christ, chapel, Jesus Christ is for us. God the Father has reconciled us. Our future is secure. We're his sons and daughters. And because of that, we ought not just be carriers of hope. It ought to be, we ought to let it spill out. Like we ought to have so much hope wherever we go, just we're flowing. We're, we're just, we're just, come on, we're a hope dealer, Katie. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like we're overflowing with hope because that's what Christ has come to give us today. Maybe you're here this weekend and you're not even certain you have that hope. It can be found in Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me in this room and in the lobby and in, in Richmond and Mosley? In just a second, I'm going to pray. At the end of my prayer, I'm going to turn it back over to campuses today. But if you're here today, I won't embarrass you in any location in the jail. Or You say, Pastor, I'm not sure I have this hope or I'm not sure... I'm a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you walked away from your relationship with God. I won't embarrass you, but I'd love to pray for you this weekend. If you're here and you say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain of where I'm at in my relationship with God. And I want to give my life to Jesus today and know this hope. That's you today. Just lift your hand up real quick and put it right back down. Yes. Are there others? Just raise your hand up quick and put it right back down. By raising it up, you're saying, pray for me. Yes, ma'am. I see that. Are there others? Yes. In the back. I see that. Yep. Right there, buddy. Yes. Yes, sir. I see that. Anybody else, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain of where I'm at, my own relationship with God. One more time. Anybody else? Say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? In Richmond or in Mosley? Yep, I see that right there, buddy. Thank you. Anybody else? In the lobby or in Richmond? Yep, thank you. Right where you're seated. It's not magic words, but if you mean it in your heart, God can hear this prayer and change your life. It goes something like this. God, I'm so thankful that while I was still a sinner, you demonstrated your love by sending your son to die for me. And so today I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Would you forgive me? Would you come and live on the inside of me? Would you change my heart? Would you give me a new start? Would you take away all my sin and all my shame? And would you replace it with your righteousness? Thank you for doing that for me, God. And by your grace, my prayer today is that I commit my life to you all the days of my life. Today I declare you're my Savior, my treasure, my Lord. Thank you for changing my life today. For I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. I'm going to turn it over to all the campuses.